Southern California. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Buckle up. Here we go. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, episode 28 of season two. Dennis Bernstein, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jay. What a victory last night. So at that big rally in the third period, but let's get to this episode. Well, first of all, let's thank the LA Kings for that because it, it <laughs> certainly it certainly changes the the um, the approach to a podcast coming off of a victory versus coming off of an extended 27-game losing streak or, <laughs> or whatever the number would have been. It just felt like that, DB. It felt like they hadn't won a game in forever. What, I think it was one win in eight or nine games coming into last night. Yeah, and just the way they lost. They were close games. These weren't blowout games, it's, and especially, John, off that Vegas win. Mm-hmm. Like that homestand, like they were in jeopardy going own four on the, on the homestand, and that's it. I mean, you could just pack up, and that would be the end of the season for the team. But now, still a puncher's chance. It's still a small chance. But yeah, that was a nice way to rally a real, as you know, as Todd told me, a real character win last night. Well, the uh, I I had put in there that it, the Kings' playoff chances were on life support, but yes. somehow. Uh, the doctor served up exactly what the Kings needed, which is the second game of a back-to-back yep. set, which outside of the San Jose Sharks, they've been absolutely dominant in those games. I think their season record now is 10-5-2, and two, and again, two of those losses are to the Sharks. So in the second game of back-to-backs, excluding the Sharks, 10-3-2, Dennis, something about the uh, the caboose of that train really gets them excited. And uh, something that that you've asked Todd, and he can't explain, which is great. <laughs> well... I, I'm going to have a lot to say about Todd, perhaps, uh, as the show progresses later today, Dennis. And you might have a lot to say uh, about some things as well. It should be a fun-filled episode. But look, DB, we want to make sure that everybody understands how beautiful it is here in Southern California. It's been outstanding for the last couple of weeks. And we're coming to everybody today from the Oscar Moeller Studio. Dennis, I have to imagine that that name at least uh, resonates at least a thought or two uh, from you. I even know his number, jersey number nine. He was jersey number nine. That's boy. We should have done a numerology and the studio <laughs> name all in the same episode. That is right. Oscar Moeller, of course. I think Oscar Moeller is a timely name to bring up as we get into the third period later today, DB, because Oscar Moeller is a cautionary tale of uh, what happens with the development of a prospect. Uh, but first of all, what got me thinking about him was Mauro Ranallo, of course, was on our last show. What an outstanding guest, yes. DB. Uh, real fun to talk to them about combat sports and being a mental health advocate and and his his start or what would have or could have been his start. He was offered the job with the Chilliwack Bruins with the WHL. And, of course, Oscar Moeller was drafted out of that team by the Kings in the second round of two, uh, back in 2007. So that's really what got me started. And as I started thinking more and more about Oscar Moeller and remembering a couple things, 
Seven goals, 15 points in his first 40 games in the NHL. Decent. And then seven points, only seven points in 34 games the next season. He went to Manchester. He dominated there. But basically, the coaching staff at the NHL level had kind of lost interest. He couldn't find a spot. And it's interesting because, in hindsight, we always see the world differently. And Dean Lombardi and both Mark Yannetti, perhaps Mike Fuda as well, I'm not sure, they always regretted the development process of what happened with Oscar Moeller. He was a very effective player, went on to Europe, had an extremely successful career. And uh, as as I think Lombardi and, and uh, Gennetti later admitted, it was one of the, quote, early lessons that that management team learned about prospects and the development. And I think it's just an important thing to think about right now, given where the L.A. Kings are with their overabundance of prospects, right. that patience can sometimes be the operative word. And painful is the other P word, Dennis. It can be a painful process as you work your way through it with some kids. Absolutely, Jay. It's, it's something, again, as our guest will probably tell us in the middle frame, um, 17, 18-year-olds trying to project their professional careers is one of the most difficult things in all professional sports. Yeah, it's one thing to be a scout at the pro level where you have a body of work where you kind of know, right, and the players are fully baked. It's something different when you're projecting, uh, again, another P word there, uh, what some of these <laughs> prospects are doing. I guess this should be the P word episode. Oven's three uh, Ps. Let's go. Well, as long as you're not talking playoffs, Dennis, then we uh, we can keep it with the Ps. But hey, look, the um, uh, the topic for today on today's episode is going to be that we're going to go through the entire roster as we head towards the trade deadline, DB, and you and I will have an opportunity to weigh in on each and every player. And so then we will have the ultimate link to uh, to forward to any of the fans, any of the listeners who ask questions about players on the LA Kings roster. Here we go. We'll have a link for every single player on the roster uh, here over the next, what, 72 hours heading into the trade deadline. Um, but we'll start on defense, then we'll move into the forwards. But before we do, let's at least tee up the fact that our guest today is going to be Mark Seidel. He uh, is from an independent scouting service, one of the most knowledgeable people on Canadian Junior Hockey League prospects, and uh, a longtime uh, follower of the OHL more specifically, but also just of Canadian Junior Hockey, and really understands, uh, you talk about forecasting where players are going to be in the development. And he's independent, DB, which is important right. because it's not going to be skewed by his employment via a particular team or a particular league and that sort of thing. And uh, he has a, a lot of close friends and close ties to the LA Kings organization, not only in the past, but also currently as yeah. well. So we'll bring in Mark Seidel. He's also a frequent guest on uh, Sirius XM and HL Radio. So he's going to join the podcast today. We're excited about that. Before we get to him in the second period, though, let's let's start out with our trade deadline analysis, conversation related to the LA Kings. We'll start in goal. I think we both agree there's not much to talk about when it comes to Cal Peterson. He's not going anywhere. He's part of the LA Kings, so we can sort of skip on uh, unless you have a comment about Cal. No, no, he's been great, and there's no reason for to have any conversation about him. Okay. Are you gaining confidence in him and his ability to, to be the number one goaltender in Los Angeles? Yeah, without question. Uh, okay. His, his stats compare favorably against number one starters in the league. So there's no reason why you can't give him the lion's share of the work. Uh, I assume next season, I'm not sure what's going to happen this season, John, but yeah, I would be confident if you said uh, he's going to play 65% of the games next season that you have the right guy. Yeah. I was ready for McClellan to give him the majority of the starts here in this uh, six game stretch. It didn't happen though. Uh, yep. uh, Todd McClellan continues to go with the 50, 50 split between quick and Peterson. Uh, Jonathan quick. He's uh, obviously his name has been out there as potentially being somebody that's going to be available at the trade deadline. I think we've talked about it in detail on the program before, but DB, any new fresh takes on this? The only thing I could see is the unsure status of Tukarask in Boston, John, that mm -hmm. might open a door. But other than that, I just don't think that 
his performance lends itself towards making a trade where you're a contender and say, this is going to be the guy to put them over it. Just the stats aren't there. Um, the victories haven't been there. So to me, while I think he's a great option for another team as a security blanket, I just don't see him leaving L.A. here by Monday. Yeah, I think that what this is one of those deals to me, DB, where you would want to find a connection because on right. paper, that like you just said, the stats don't suggest like if I'm in the Colorado Avalanche management circle or or you know insert any team name, it doesn't matter. I'm not sitting there going like that's the guy that we have to have, and here's what we're willing to get him. However, if there was somebody in a management circle who knows Jonathan Quick, knows him very well, knows about the competitive fire that burns with you know inside of him, that could say, uh, "Hey, this is the guy that I'm going to go to the mat for," and you guys, you you guys might not see it statistically and analytically, but I know what this guy can do in a seven game series. That's the kind of connection that I would be looking for, and there aren't very many of those around the league, right. DB, so I'm just not sure that the that the situation will present itself. But one thing we do know is that Rob Blake has already gone on record and has pretty much been open about the fact that, hey, if a guy like Jonathan Quick is going to be traded, he's going to be part of the conversation. So forget the fact that Quick doesn't have trade protection like a Dustin Brown or whoever. Mm-hmm. There's a respect that that is there between Blake and what this player has done for the organization Jonathan Quick is going to be involved in the conversation, and if he does move, he's going to have some input into that uh, conversation. That's the way, That's what I at least took from Blake's comments, DB. Well, and the good thing is, John, is that if he were to move here, he's moving to a really good team. It's not yes. like you're sending him to some you know, outpost where the team isn't doing well. So I, I think that that's, that would be the one, not saving grace, but one positive part of the conversation that you would have with that player, saying, hey, look, you have a chance for a third ring. Here's where you're going. So he's not going to Buffalo. That's what you're trying to no, say? No, John, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on from the goaltenders, let's get to the defense. And, DB, not in any real specific order, I guess, but uh, w- there's not much to say about Drew Doughty. Uh, Todd McClellan said it best last yep. night. He he went to the mat for his player and said, hey, look, this is a guy who's showing leadership coming off of the comments that he made the other night. Um, I, I won't call it a rant, but he was very Drew, very open with his emotions and his feelings after the loss on Monday. He came back. He backed up his words with actions. McClellan says that's leadership, and Todd ended his presser last night or his comments on Dowdy by saying, in his opinion, for his money, he's one of the top handful of defensemen in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I think he's, he's re-emerged. I was going to say emerged, but it's certainly he's been at that level. But yeah, I, I just think that, again, John, to me, it's not even the, the statistics or whatever. It, it's what he's doing with respect to being a leader and, and being a role model and controlling his passion on the ice. So I just think there's a level of maturity that he's added to his game that has made him better this season. Okay. Matt Roy was a recent guest on the podcast. Uh, new three-year contract. He's secure. Not much to say about Matt Roy other than he is in protocol. He's yeah. not traveling with the team right now. So don't expect him to play in these first couple of games. But we, uh, we would certainly hope and wish that Matt Roy is back in the lineup soon. Agreed. And that's a really impactful loss for this team. I mean, part of the reason that they, they had that skid was because no Matt Roy in the lineup. So it's a, it's a tough blow right now for the team. Okay, so moving on within the defense, Ole Mata, we've talked about this in the past, DB, that one of the key reasons that they made that trade was not only to get some help on the left side and get some veteran experience, but also to have a player who meets the very specific qualification of NHL games played for the expansion draft. There really would be no reason for Ole Mata to be in any, included in any potential deal uh, as we head to the trade deadline. No, it would be a shock to me as well, John. I agree with you with respect to what, uh, how they might utilize him. Okay. Uh, Curtis McDermott, he falls, in, at least in my opinion, DB, he falls into the same boat. Now, he has qualified. He, McDermott has played the necessary number of games. But I want to say this, Dennis. 
I just don't understand the insistence by Todd McClellan to go with McDermott in the lineup. To me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You can talk about toughness. You can talk about, well, they were waiting for Lemieux to get out of protocol and everything else. To me, it's a stubbornness on the coach of Todd McClellan to continue to put McClellan or to put uh, McDermott in there on the second pair. It's it would have been one thing to put McDermott in there on the third pair. DB, there's no reason for Curtis McDermott to be on the second pair this late into the season, having already seen what we've seen earlier in the year. I have a real issue with it. Well, but that means that you're going to, based on last night's lineup, you would have, are you going to put Clegg or Strand on the second pair? Well, we had uh, seen earlier in the year, we had seen Kale Clegg up on the second pair with uh, Matt Roy. Yeah. Now, yeah. mind you, Matt Roy is not there in the lineup right, right now, but yes, that is what it means. It means that it means that Clegg would have been up on the second pair. I, I think that's the issue, John. I think that he McDermott wouldn't be there without with the presence of Roy because you could trust those those less experienced players there. So I, I think that it's a it's a catch twenty two, John. Because look, Mata's hurt and Bjorn. It's it's the lesser of three evils at this point in time. You assess that that Clegg and and Strand are better players and would be better spent time on the second pair. And the coach thinks that it's that it's McDermott, and I think that's it. Remember, no Mata, no Roy, and no Bjornfoot. So I think it's just a it's an unfortunate situation where you have those three players out of the lineup, and he's choosing the guy who's had the most experience. Yeah, I well, I disagree with him, uh, but certainly he has a five year contract making five million a year, and I don't. So I guess we'll we'll defer to him. Uh, but I do take exception with it because I I just don't believe I I believe what I'm saying is I believe that Kale Clegg. At, okay. this, at um, the second pairing gives you a better chance to win most nights. Now, this is a terrible day to be making my argument coming off of the win last night, but I will say that Kale Clegg, more often than not, he gives you a better chance to win on that second pair, uh, regardless of Matt Roy being out of the lineup, than McDermott does on that pair. That's, that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it, as they say. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Mikey Anderson, this is uh, a player who would not be expected to be dealt in any sort of a, of a trade. It would have to be a real high-end left-shot defenseman. I mean, you're talking like top three to top five left-shot D in the league. Guys that just aren't going to move. But it would be that type of a trade that would have to come forward in order for Mikey Anderson to be included. Yeah, it would have to be like a Chikrin who we saw in Arizona who's just dominating now. Uh, John, last night, 28-54 in a must-win situation just Mm -hmm. for a 21-year-old kid. And when I asked Todd about it, he goes, oh, is that all he played? So there's a reliance <laughs> that, that and a trust a funny to this part player. Of the, that was a very funny part of the uh, It's a humor, Todd. <laughs> Finally, after a couple of weeks. It's been a rough couple of weeks. But to, to trust that player to that extent, to playing Drew Doughty minutes, just speaks volumes about what this kid's evolved into in, in a short period of time. And, you know, DB, you just have to go back in time about one year ago when he came into the National Hockey League after just a few games. McClellan was already talking about the leadership that he brings, the high character that he brings. Mikey Anderson is a very special player. We've talked about it on our program almost from the very beginning. He'll probably end up wearing a letter in L.A. And we just continue to see that on a nightly basis. What was it? Four games into the season. Mikey's promoted into the, the top pairing there alongside Drew Doughty. There's just no doubt about it. Mikey Anderson is a very, very special player. And he's the kind of guy that you have to have on your team uh, if you plan on winning in the NHL. Couldn't agree with you more, Jay. Okay, a couple of other players here. Uh, Kale Clegg, he is uh, he is an interesting cat. Uh, Kale Clegg, 
arguably got the message. He, I, I don't want to say he sulked because he wasn't sulking, uh, but he, he had an adjustment period. When he went down earlier this year to the American League, he didn't look as strong as he had looked when he was up in the NHL, had a little bit of an adjustment period. And it's sort of funny, DB, because I asked him uh, the other night, or I guess it was last night uh, after the game, when the light bulb clicked mm-hmm. for him, and he couldn't really pinpoint it. To me, it was when he scored a big goal uh, about a week or two back for the Ontario Reign. It was sort of like the weight of the world had been lifted off of his shoulders at that point, and he played a different game from that point forward with Ontario. Then he ends up getting called up, and he's looked strong in the couple games that he's been able to get in. Absolutely trucked a dude last night as well, so he's bringing the physical presence. Uh, that was a massive one, right? Sticks exploding. I mean, that was that was fun times. Um, Kale Clegg... This is a critical, critical period for him, DB, because the Kings are going to have to make a decision come the expansion draft whether to protect him or not. Could he be included in a deal? You know, potentially, I'm going to say yes, he could be included in a deal because Mm -hmm. the current thinking is to not protect him in the expansion draft because if you do protect him, he comes at that comes at the expense of three extra forwards. So just again to set the table for everybody, DB, it's four forwards. Excuse me. It's either eight skaters, regardless of position, or three defensemen and seven skaters. So if they go with the eight option, what you're really saying is you're going to protect four defensemen, which only leaves four forwards, versus the other option of three forwards and seven. So if they go with the eight, which means protecting Dowdy, uh, Walker, Roy, and Clegg, then you're only going to protect four forwards instead of the other option where you leave Clegg exposed and you get to protect seven forwards. So you're basically unprotecting three forwards to protect Kale Clegg. Woo, that sounds hairy enough, but here's the real key, DB. Clegg is out of waivers next season. So if you protect him, you damn well better have a spot for him in the lineup next year or you're basically just going on a merry-go-round because come October when the season starts, yeah, you're going to have to put him on waivers to send him back to Ontario and you're going to end up losing him anyway because believe me, Kale Clegg is not getting through waivers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny about that hit last night, John. When you saw the hit, a lot of people, when they saw the five on the jersey, they said, oh, that must have been McDermott. (laughs) It wasn't. It was Clegg. 58, not 56. I know. But damn it all, too, uh, DB, because for the better part of a year, actually, I think it goes back even longer because I think it goes, the initial conversation with Clegg, I believe, was in the summer of 2019, not the summer of 2020. So 18, almost 24 months now, we've been putting the dominoes in place to get 34 uh, <laughs> off of Clegg, to get 34 over to uh, uh, Kaliev, and then Kaliev. Uh, Clegg needed his 10, but Amadio was there, so he ends up as a 58 <laughs> to start the year. Well, Amadio's now gone, so come on, L.A. Kings. Will you give Kale Clegg his number 10? I mean, if you're not going to protect him, or if he's eventually going to leave L.A. in a trade or whatever, can you just let him get a couple of games in an L.A. Kings uniform and a number 10? It's the final piece of the dominoes, DB. <laughs> Another chapter in numerology with John Hoven. You didn't see that one coming, did you? I did not, Jay. You, you <laughs> snuck that one in. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, Austin Strand is uh, another player. And, and Dennis, I actually believe if you would have told me six months ago there's a greater chance that Kale Clay gets traded than Austin Strand, I would have said that you'd had too many umbrella drinks. <laughs> but now I'm actually going to tell you I think there's a greater chance that Kale Clay gets moved in a deal than I do Austin Strand because I think the Kings – Really like Austin Strand. Probably not enough to protect him uh, because of the reasons we just mentioned. But they like him, and they like his size. They like his puck-moving ability and see him as a very viable option as a third-pairing defenseman. And he brings some size. There are other 
comparable players to Kale Clay. Give me the comparable player in the organization to Austin Strand. I can't, and that's the issue. Maybe a Daniel Brickley from the There's left side, but that you know, Strand is in higher favor at the moment compared to a Daniel Brickley. So uh, that's where Austin Strand. Two other players on defense here, just to mention before we uh, wrap up our defensive side of the, the conversation and bring in Mark Seidel for the second period, DB. Christian Wolanin or Wolanin. I've heard 14 different pronunciations. I think it's Wolanin. It's Wolanin. Sure. I knew his father is Wolanin. Craig? Yeah. Okay, so Wolanin. I've never heard okay. Craig Wolanin. So we're going with Wolanin. Okay. Um, he, yeah. he basically had two games in Ontario. Uh, his first game, he had an assist. Nice one. Second game, picked up two assists. Um, I believe also, uh, or he had the first assist, uh, assist on the first goal, and then I think on the empty net goal at the end. The point is, two games with Ontario, and Coach Robo was very impressed with Will Lannan, um in those two games. Underscore very. And it's funny because even McClellan, who very, very rarely references what's going on in Ontario, right. he referenced Will Lannan during his time on the Zoom calls yesterday as well. And then lo and behold, this morning, Will Lannan is called up and he is now on a plane as we're recording this on his way to San Jose. He's traveling with the Kings. A full house, DB, on the taxi squad. Six yeah, guys. Six, on the LA, <laughs> six guys on the LA Kings. Is that taxi the first time squad. this year? First time that I remember, uh, it, it yeah. may have happened, but DB, if it was, if it happened at all, it was for a very short, like, one like day. day. I mean, it was a very short thing. Uh, just quickly back to Clegg, uh, what, because I tweeted this earlier. Let's give uh, Clegg some, some props as well. The Kings have used the taxi squad as a as a means of saving money, right? By Because when right. you take a guy from the NHL roster and you put him on the taxi squad, you're basically giving him AHL money for the day instead of NHL money, which can be... Very substantial, seven to ten times, you know, difference uh, yep. in, in mm-hmm. one player's salary. So it's substantial. Kings have been using that as a way of saving money. We've seen Bjornfoot and Clegg and Strand and Leas Anderson and all kinds of guys uh, that are even directly after playing in an NHL game going into the taxi squad. But full credit yeah. to Kale Clegg. Uh, he stayed on the NHL roster today. Yep. And DB, yep. that is not a clerical error. That is a compliment that the organization is paying him for his performance here over the last couple of games. So not only McClellan giving him props last night, but the organization as well. And I think that's something that probably would have gone unnoticed by most people. It just People are numb at this point to all these paper transactions. There could have been any number of players, Austin Strand included, who could have been left on the NHL roster and Clegg could have right. been put on the taxi squad. So props to Clegg for that. Yeah, I like his calmness. Like, he doesn't like, never looks like he's handling a puck like a hand grenade. So I just like his calmness on ice. And there is, and you're probably right, John, that stint in the AHL did him good. It came back with more confidence, and I think he could himself fine last night. Yes. All right, the last player on defense here, DB, is Sean Walker. And I saved him for the end. I'm not here to make a prediction. I'm not telling you that the LA Kings will trade him. But here's what I'm going to say, DB. If there was an NHL roster player that needed to move in a deal, either now heading up to the trade deadline or this summer, because we've talked at length, they're, they're in pursuit of a left-handed D, a left-shot D, mm-hmm. uh, playing on the you know first or second pair. And when you get that player, it's going to probably cost you yeah. two prospects and an NHL player. Uh, that yep. NHL player, to me, could very well end up being Sean Walker for the reasons that we just talked about with Austin Strand. Austin Strand is a replacement for Sean Walker on the third pairing, on the right side, and gives them some size. I could potentially see Sean Walker in a deal. This is the last minute of yeah, play in the I agree period. With you. And he has term on his contract left. And he's affordable. So, yeah. And he's a puck-moving defenseman. So, for all those reasons, yeah, I agree. If you're going to have to return a roster player with term, that would be the guy I would point at as well. Yeah. Uh, if If he did move... 
that does give them some flexibility. If he moved now, that gives them some flexibility back to the expansion draft like we talked about, where uh, if they were to get right. a defenseman in return now, you're basically just you're, you're flip-flopping who's going to be protected. If right. you do the deal later in the summer, um, then you don't have that concern. So, Agreed. all right, we've worked our way through the goaltending. We've worked our way through the defense, DB. We'll, uh, we'll take a break. We'll uh, bring in Mark Seidel on the other side. We'll talk all about LA Kings prospects. We'll talk about players in the uh, Canadian juniors and their development process. And then we'll come back for the third period and we'll do the forward group right after the break. Okay, welcome back. Second period, Kings of the Podcast. This time around, DB, we have uh, a scouting guru coming in to join us. This is Mark Seidel from the North American Independent Central Scouting Service. First off, Mark, did I get it right? Guru is probably wrong, firstly, but uh, you got the company (laughs) name right, so, uh, so we're good, yes, for sure. Now, you've been a, a longtime guest uh, with Boomer Gordon there on Sirius XM NHL. Dennis and I, of course, both stopped by at different times uh, on the station. And so we've heard you uh, for many, many years. And uh, you and I have connected throughout the years on, on different prospects and whatnot. And we're getting into that time of the year where uh, not only with the trade deadline coming up in the NHL, but the draft is going to be here really quick, sooner than most of us think. And uh, you have the under-18 Worlds coming up here very shortly. But we wanted to talk with you about some of the Kings prospects that have come out of the Ontario Hockey League. And uh, I guess first and foremost, let's just start with the biggest name at the top of the list at the moment, and that would be Gabe Velarde. Just uh, what were some of your impressions of him during his time with the OHL, and have you kept up with him at all as he's transitioned into the NHL? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly Gabe is a guy, and you guys know this well, has all the tools in the world. You know, I think... uh, could be a dominant NHL player. Um, really, Gabe's issue has been injuries, as you know. Uh, he's had some injury issues and some consistency issues. I think, you know, during his draft year, that that came up a little bit with him. Um, certainly falling to 11 to L.A., I think, at the time they thought was a great pick for them, but it was a bit of a surprise he fell that far. But that consistency issues that he's had, you know, throughout his career along with the injuries have sort of dampened some of the enthusiasm for him. But, uh, listen, you, you've got a guy that has all the tools in the world, can do whatever he wants on the ice, can play center, can play the wing. Um, so, you know what, he dominated the Ontario Hockey League, and, and when he's played well for LA, I thought he's been really, really good for them, and there have been some nights, though, again, where he's kind of uh, been very quiet. So, Mark, um, did he play right wing in his draft-eligible year at all? Uh, a little tiny bit, yeah. He played some there, but uh, not a ton. Mm-hmm. Could you see, if it doesn't, and I know they want to play center, but could you see him as a winger in the NHL if it doesn't work out? It's funny because John and I have had this discussion. I think he is a winger. I honestly think he's a winger better than a centerman. I really do. I think the game becomes much more simplified for him. And uh, I think that's where his future lies. As you said, they want to make him a centerman. They draft him that way. Um, But, you know, always looking to try and get another centerman down the middle, a big, strong kid like that. But I really think at the end of the day, when when his career gets rolling full bore, I really think he's a winger and I think he's going to be better there. And the Kings obviously have drafted an abundance of centers over the last couple of years. Uh, the next name at the top of the list right after Velarde has to be Quentin Byfield. Obviously, many, many years younger, but uh, 
you've had a more recent sample uh, sample size uh, or, or, or impressions to watch of Byfield. Just uh, where do you think things stand with him sort of over the last year with his draft eligible year, then now transitioning into the American League? Well, listen, uh, there's not a lot of fans, bigger fans of Quentin Byfield than myself. Uh, certainly up until around November of last year, we had him ahead of uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Um, and had him at number one on our list. So that speaks how highly I think of him. I mean, when you get a kid that's that big, that can skate like that, uh, that has a great work ethic, uh, he has skills that are in tight that you usually see in a smaller player. Um, I think the future is really bright now. Certainly Lafreniere's had a, you know, a tepid start to his NHL career, and we look at Tim Stutzel's done in, in Ottawa and, and really gotten flown out of the gate here. There's been a bit of criticism of Quinton, and I think, you know, his development is going to be slower. He's a big man. He's a centerman. He has to learn that position. But, you know, I think, as I've said many times, I think if we look back five years from now, uh, we'll see that LA made a great choice in that selection. And that doesn't mean Tim Stutzel isn't going to be a great player and Lafreniere isn't going to be a great player because they both will be. But I think Quinton Byfield is that centerman down the middle, uh, will be responsible defense. We still will score a lot. You know, I think even in Ontario, um, you know, he started off a little bit slow, but I think in the last – I think it's something I looked last night. I think in his last 10 games or something, he has 11 points. Um, It takes him a little bit longer to kind of get accustomed to it and get going. But, you know, I think he's got a huge future. I think L.A. fans that are panicking about, you know, look at Stutzel, maybe we should have went that way. I think you have to be patient. You have to understand that L.A. is is in this for the long haul and you're going to see the best of him, you know, probably take another two or three years. But I, I think they'll be very, very happy with him. Well, some of those fans probably weren't paying attention heading into the draft because so, uh, we we reported that the Kings actually agreed with you, Mark. So there was a lot of questions about should the Kings trade up to number one out of the number two spot, and and I had said it didn't really make sense because if the Kings traded up to number one, they were taking Byfield anyway. So knowing that the Rangers probably weren't taking Byfield, the Kings were perfectly content with the player that they ended up having. Hundred percent. I think when that lottery went down, they end up with that number two spot. They knew who they wanted. Uh, certainly there were some smoke signals out there that maybe Stutzel was jumping into that. I didn't buy it for a second. Franchise centermen <laughs> like Quinton Byfield are very, very difficult to try to, uh, to, to acquire. And when you get a chance to draft one of those guys, you're going to take every chance you can to do it. Mark, I'll let John lean into the specific players, but uh, from someone who sees players develop, like can you talk about patience. Once they enter the pros, it, regardless of the level, like how long before you can ascertain what this player is going to be. Some people always say 100 pro games. Like, where do you sit with respect to the amount of patience that maybe fans or even us have to exercise before we can make a determination on a player? Well, I think one of the things, Dennis, is that, you know, we forget what these are 17 and 18-year-old kids. Uh, sure. This isn't the NFL draft where guys are coming out at 22 and are full-grown men and, you know, the hit rate is a lot better. These kids have to develop, and, and, you know, every case is different, certainly, but when you look at a guy like Byfield who's big, growing into his body, you know, once he's done growing, he's going to be 220. So, you know, I think for him, you're looking at sort of three, four years down the road. Uh, a guy like Tim Stutzel is, is pretty much a, a finished product. I mean, you know what he's going to be. Physically, he's going to be the same now as he is in five years. Uh, his game is all skill um, and, and some skating, so you kind of know where he is. So I think it's always different, but you've got to give it at least three years. You know, I think... Uh, once you get into pro, learning how to be a pro is huge and important and, and bringing it every night, taking care of your body, all those things take a while. So anybody that thinks if, if a kid hasn't developed after a year or two might be a bust is, is crazy. I mean, three or four years for me, uh, 100 pro games is, is a fair, you know, that's a fair number and it's thrown out there. I think it just depends on different guys in different scenarios, different body types and different type of players. But, you know, I think you're looking at three years probably from the draft when a guy should be you know, starting to realize his potential. 
So not a lot of controversy per se regarding the uh, the two picks that we've talked about so far, uh, Byfield and and, and uh, Velarde. But Arthur Kaliev, there was a lot of, I don't know if controversy is the right word, there was certainly a lot of chatter around this player come the draft, and the Kings did uh, sort of make an educated guess when they uh, drafted a defenseman late in the first round, thinking that Kaliev would be one of three or four players that would possibly fall to them, and I think it was 32 or 33 there at the top of the, the second round, and they... they they calculated correctly or they lucked out, depending on your perspective, Mark. But um, wh- where do you land on the whole Kaliev thing? And, you know, he needs to work on his defense and whatnot. Because I will say this, watching every single Ontario Reign game this year, uh, not only has Coach Robleski pl- praised Kaliev, uh, but he has quietly basically taken over the team points lead. And uh, we're seeing his passing ability, which I've long argued is one of his most underrated skills. We've seen that on full display. So just wanted to get some comments from you about Arthur Kaliev. Yeah, Arthur's a guy that, like you said, uh, is really, uh, there's two opposing views on him. One is that he's a pure scorer. The other side says he doesn't play defense and can't skate. You know, we're of the former. Um, certainly he was in our teens, I think, in, in his draft. Or I think he was somewhere around 17 or 18 overall in our rankings. Obviously, as you said, L.A. took him at 33. Uh, the hardest thing to do in the game, guys, as you well know, is to score. And that's what this kid does. Um, is he ever going to be Bob Gainey? And we might be the only three people that remember <laughs> Bob Gainey playing. I mean, uh, is he going to win a Selkie? No, he's never going to win a Selkie. But his job is to score and to set up and, and uh, put the puck in a net. And he does it exceptionally well. I think at the World Juniors, you saw when he played for the U.S., and he played against his own peer group, which is always a great way to evaluate prospects. Because obviously in four or five years, that's who they're going to be playing against is their own peer group. You saw him dominate. And again, you saw him with that ability to score. A lot of people talk about Cole Caulfield. Montreal draft pick that's coming out of Wisconsin. Um, same kind of deal. I mean, Arthur Kaliev uh, can put the puck in a net. He, he gets in the, the top of the dot, the opposite side of Alex Ovechkin, and he wires it and he scores. Um, the other thing that really always bothered me is they talked about his feet, and, and he's not a great skater, and he's too slow, and he's not going to be able to get there. You know, I think Arthur's a very smart player. Again, he's not going to win the fastest race at the NHL skills, but he, he's smart enough to get there, and his feet are getting better. Um, you know, he had to get stronger, which he certainly has. I think the guys in Ontario have done a great job with him. You know, we've seen what he can do. So, you know, he's a guy that is going to put up goals for the Kings down the road, and I think getting him in the second round was a steal for the Kings, quite frankly. Now, you mentioned uh, references to us older cats, so um, I'm going to use the phrase Swiss Army Knife. One of John's favorite guys is Akil Thomas, who actually played defense in Niagara for a while. Or, for 28 minutes in one night or something like that. So just, mm-hmm. like, this is a guy who could play center, can play wing. Just your assessment about Akil Thomas just in general. You know, Akil's special. We drafted him. I was working in Niagara then, and we drafted him into Niagara. So I know him, obviously, very, very well. Uh, you know, first of all, Akil's got that special it factor. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if you can identify it, but I think you guys have talked to him for sure, and, and you've maybe gotten to know him a little bit. He has that kind of it factor, and, and you can't necessarily put your finger on it, but he has it. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest telltales for Akil was when he played for Canada at the World Juniors. You know, he'd been in Niagara and, and been a big-time scorer, obviously, for a couple of years. Uh, went into that World Junior team and played down in the lineup. That's hard for a lot of guys. A lot of high-end skill guys can't go down in the lineup and play that way. With that World Juniors, if you remember when he scored the game winning or the gold-winning goal, he was down in the lineup, but he's able to step up and play that role and still create offense. And I think with the Kings, that's what it's going to be. You know, I think, as you say, Swiss Army knife, can he play the wing? For sure. Can he play... Uh, center for sure. Can he play in your second line? Maybe. Can he play in your third, fourth line? Yes, he can. So, uh, and he can he can chip in offensively. So, you know, I don't think there's one sort of uh, typecast that Akil fits into. 
He's going to find a way to play because he just has that kind of uh, it factor, as I talked about. And he can do so much for your team. And, you know, I think, again, he's another guy that's going to take a couple years of pro. We're, we're seeing some improvements with him in Ontario right now. But um, really a, a special kid that I think is going to find a way to, to help the Kings in some capacity as we go forward here. Yeah, with our sources inside the organization, they say that his stock has really elevated here over the last six months. Very impressed with what he did during the offseason to get ready for his first year as a pro. And as you guys were talking about there, that that very versatile type player. But I, I want to talk about more off the ice with, with the Keel since you do know him so well. I've long uh, said that he is the most interesting prospect in the LA Kings organization. And that doesn't only mean on the ice because of his versatility. He's just a fascinating young man to talk to. And whether it's a five minute conversation or a 30 minute conversation, every time I walk away from a conversation with the Keel Thomas, I just shake my head and laugh and just, I, I'm amazed at his ability to hold a conversation regardless of the topic for his age, he's very articulate, very well-spoken, very interesting to talk to on any number of different topics. And I'm just curious at what age or when did you guys first, or if you even did, Mark, uh, sort of have that same sense that I do about how fun he is to talk with. I'll tell you, the first interview I had with him in his minor midget year going into the Ontario Hockey League draft, it was that same thing. Now, I know his dad a little bit. His dad played pro, great family, great parents, and, and from great parents create great kids. Um, very curious kid, certainly, uh, could talk about anything. He could sit down and talk about the Middle East peace crisis or talk about you know, going to Mars. He, he has that ability to be able to, to talk. He's curious about stuff. We've certainly seen the entrepreneurship side of him, which I think is fantastic. It shows that you know, this isn't a kid that's pegged into, I'm only a hockey player and I'm nothing else. You know, some of the, uh, the racial issues in the game, I think he's, he's taken on Fabor. He started the podcast, which I think is great. So he's a guy that's very rounded. Um, you know, he's not just a yeah. typical hockey player, shows up at the rink, practices, sleeps, goes back. Uh, he's got a, a many other interests. Uh, at one point, I think there was concern, does he have too many interests? But I think, you know, as he matured, uh, certainly I think that's gone out the window. And as you say, the guys in L.A., I think, love him. And that creates him being a lot more valuable to, to not only on the ice, but off the ice, too, and, and a great spokesman for the team. So, you know, all that's going to factor into, as I said earlier, somehow, some way going forward, he's going to be a part of the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. You Mark... As difficult as it is to evaluate skaters, it's probably harder to evaluate goaltenders at this level. But just talk about uh, one of the Kings prospects, uh, Jacob Ingham. You know what? Jacob Ingham had an interesting career in the Ontario Hockey League. He came in as a 16-year-old in Mississauga and tore the league apart. This was his underage year before his NHL draft year. And we watched him and thought, this kid, I mean, I remember that year, I think, to start the year, I think, in his draft year, I think we had him at 18 or 19 overall which is pretty incredible for a, you know, for a goaltender. You have to be pretty special to get into that range for us. Uh, absolutely tore it up. Now, in his next two years in Mississauga, he struggled. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I think anybody that watched him play, I think he lost his confidence. He lost his ability to really dominate games the way he had as a 16-year-old. Uh, and again, these kids, you know, they're maturing, they're developing at different rates. Then he gets traded to the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, so he gets out of Mississauga in a team that was struggling a little bit, but he was certainly part of the struggle. Went to Kitchener and, and lit it up and found that same form that he had again as a 16-year-old and really, really good in, in Kitchener. It was phenomenal for them. You know, I think Under a lot of pressure, right? Because that, that, that team was expected to win. Yes, absolutely. And, and they needed some goaltending, and he came in and provided that for them. You know, I think some of the, the history of Jacob Ingham is, you know, he played in Mississauga for James Richmond, and I think you guys know James you know, had a role as a development uh uh, coordinator, uh, skating coordinator, I think, with, with the Kings for a while, and, and him and Futes are best friends. So I think Futes had some insight into the kid and it allowed them to get him a little bit later in the draft. 
um, after a year where he really struggled. But Jr. I know really really backed the kid and thought he was going to be special. And, and once he went to Kitchener, he's shown it. And, you know, lately I haven't seen as much from him, obviously, but I, have, I do track him. And he, he seems to have, you know, been struggling a little bit lately too. But um, when, when you look at how he dominated the Ontario Hockey League at 19, you've got to feel he's got a chance. Uh, goaltenders are, as you guys know, very, very uh, difficult to evaluate and, and difficult to read how they're going to be when they're 25. But, you know, when you've had past success like he has and shown the way he can dominate, it's a positive sign, but I think he has to continue to evolve as a goaltender. Another goaltender out of the Ontario League would be Matt Vallalta. He's been pro now for a couple of years, but he had a dominant year there with the Sioux. And uh, to be honest, we just haven't seen that kind of goaltending out of him at the pro level. What were your impressions uh, around that time? Not really all that different than Jacob Bingham. I mean, again, came into the Ontario Hockey League for a good Sioux team. And was very, very good. Took over the starter's job there as a young player uh, from a kid named Raymakers. Um, so he came in and, and was a house fire. Obviously, L.A. drafted him. His game hasn't evolved. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I know he's a great kid. I've talked to people in the Kings organization, in the, in the Greyhound organization. Great kid, great work ethic. But his game hasn't evolved. I mean, I've watched him a little bit uh, lately. Uh, I watched him last year a little bit. He just seems to be that same goaltender that can't can't make the big save when he has to, and, and you know isn't able to to carry that over. And when you're going to get into try and play in the National Hockey League or even the American Hockey League, you have to be consistent. And your teammates know that they can you're going to make most saves you're supposed to. And and Matthews' game hasn't evolved. Again, we've seen so many guys, Jordan Bennington, and so many others in the National League where at 24, or 25, or 26, it starts to click in, and they see something and find something. And I think Matt's hoping that happens, but. Uh, for some reason, his game hasn't evolved, and, and I don't, you know, I, I have to be honest, I don't see him being in the mix for the LA Kings anytime soon. Uh, let's talk about a player who's got some offensive talent, some offensive punch, but what, and this is the process of why they fall, like Martin Chromiak. Looks like he's got all the skills, the fifth round pick. So, your assessment on, on when players fall, why do they fall, maybe specifically about Martin? Well, I think Martin is a bit of a tweener, and, and sometimes when you get in a draft, it's hard to determine. Someone has to pound the table for a guy to draft him. And, uh, you know, I know certainly in Ontario, Chris Byrne uh, has done a great job. Uh, Brian Denny's also a guy here, and I think they did pound the table. But, you know, I don't think as we got into the draft and, and ended up through last year, he got paired up with Shane Wright, who's the phenom from, from Canada here, um, that lit up the Ontario Hockey League. And they were a great line when Martin came over uh, from Europe, they immediately uh, connected Zade Wisdom, the kid in, that Philadelphia took as well. They were a phenomenal line. But, you know, nobody could figure out, is Martin Kromiak going to be an offensive guy at the NHL level? I don't see it. Does he have enough jam to be in your bottom six? Maybe. But it's not a lock. I mean, so he's one of those guys, and guys like him will fall in the draft because when you're looking at it as a, as a, a team and you're looking at where you see this kid down the road, where does he really fit? He doesn't have elite offensive skills. He's good offensively. You know, he has a little bit of jam to his game. He's good defensively, but it's hard to really typecast that as being a guy who's going to be an impact guy in the National League. So he falls in the draft. You know, I think uh, almost 130, I think, if I remember where he went, but mm -hmm. uh, which was which was surprising based on the year he had with Shane Wright. But as you evaluate it and you look back, it's it's hard when you get those kind of tweeners that you just don't see really what their defined role is going to be in the National Hockey League. Just a couple more to wrap up, and Mark, certainly we appreciate you uh, joining us on the show here today. It's always good to to get your insight, and someone who's independent as well. You know, sometimes I think that the opinions of uh, scouts that are employed by teams or general managers or coaches or whatnot, maybe they're not pounding the table when we talk to them, but they are perhaps sometimes uh, a, a little bit, uh, you know, <laughs> 
leaning towards their particular players. Let's just uh, let's just put it that way. So we appreciate you know the the independence that you bring to the uh, to the conversation. Um, what about uh, Brendan Lemieux? This is obviously a player who's several years removed from the Ontario League, but uh, I'm sure that you remember him and have some impressions, you know, of him. And the Kings have recently acquired uh, acquired him uh, from the New York Rangers. You know what, Brendan Lemieux is an interesting character. Uh, I know John, you and I went back and forth some texts about him when LA acquired him. This is a guy who, on the ice, teammates love. Um, well plays like his hair is on fire. Will fight. Will defend teammates. Will be everything you want in a good teammate. Brendan's history, unfortunately, through, you know, really through his whole career has been his shelf life runs out kind of after a couple of years. Um, he can be difficult. He can be a difficult teammate off the ice. He's, a, he's an interesting kid, but he's, he doesn't fit the typical mold of a hockey player that just, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full. Um, but, you know, in terms of L.A., you didn't give up a lot to go get him. I think I think it was a fourth you got uh, or you gave mm-hmm. up for him. But this kid, you know, I think L.A. needs some toughness. They need to get a little bit stronger, uh, a little play with a little more ferocity. And, and that's what this kid does. I mean, he plays hard every shift. And, you know, guys always say to me, well, who's he remind you of? And I know it's obvious, but he plays like his dad. His dad was a prick to play against on the ice. He was hard. His teammates loved playing with him on the ice. But, you know, off the ice, he was difficult. So, so Brendan's a kid that's bounced through some organizations. But when he's on the ice uh, for the Kings and, and for whatever team he's played for, he certainly battles hard for his teammates. Yeah, he's going to give L.A. probably what they need for the balance of this season and then one more year. And I think the interesting thing will be the fork in the road at the end of the following season because that's when you know his contract will be due and we'll have to see uh, about his shelf life here. The, the, uh, the under-18s are coming up here very quickly. Uh, and uh, Coach Mike Stuthers, formerly of the Ontario Reign, is going to be an assistant for, for Team Canada. Just wanted to get your thoughts. It's a different year for the U18s. I mean, the Q, they're not even sending players and Canada's sending probably a different mix than if this was a regular season, what they would from a roster perspective. Just any thoughts as we head here into the, uh, the under-18s? Such a pivotal turn tournament for draft eligible players well Stutzy and I go way back to Owen Sound way back in the early 2000s and uh, one of my favorite people in the game and certainly the success he had in Ontario was great uh, as I've said to a couple agents and I've said to a couple kids that are on that team they've got Dave Barr and Mike Stuthers as their two coaches uh, it's not going to be anybody getting pats on the back and, and kisses I mean these are hard-nosed guys that play hard you guys know Stutzy well from his time in Ontario uh, some of the kids these days are a little bit, uh, I'm not going to say pampered, but they're not maybe mentally as tough as, as kids were 15 and 20 years ago. And these kids are going to get a rude awakening when they get there. Uh, Stutzy and Dave are going in there to win, obviously. It's, uh, but it'll be different for those guys. But, you know, you couldn't pick two better guys to try and coach that team. Um, the team itself in Canada, you know, obviously, as you said, uh, John, is there's no Quebec League players, which is a bit of a bizarre situation. Now, it's not unheard of for Canada because generally when this tournament goes on every spring, the CHL playoffs are going on. So they have to pick the team based on who's out of the playoffs at that point. So Canada's never really able to send their best under-18s to this tournament. Having said that, uh, you know, the, the American team is going to be phenomenal. The Russians, the Swedes, uh, you know, it's going to be a really good tournament, but I think Canada's in tough. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud Canadian, but, you know, I look at that back end and I look at the goaltending and I look at the Americans, the Russians and the Swedes at a minimum, those three teams are, are better than them on paper. So uh, Stutzy and Dave certainly have their, their work cut out for them, but uh, uh, they'll get the best out of that group, and those kids will come back better players because of it. They may not enjoy some of it while they're there. You know, and I think a lot of players in Ontario went through this, where 
you know, they, there's a bit of tough love there, and that's the way Stutzy's been his whole career. But sure. uh, when they get back and they realize, you know, what they've what they've been taught and what they've been coached about, you know, they'll be better players for it. And, and uh, you know, I just like to see Stutzy get back in the game here. Uh, there's been rumblings about him going into Hamilton in the OHL, and I think the game's a lot better when Mike Stuthers is in it. Um, Amen. You know, he's he's a great man and, and a great teacher. Uh, it was even hard on me as a scout back in the early 2000s. He had some tough love for me even. <laughs> Uh, but you know, almost like a father figure at certain extent, uh, certain extent to me. But um, you know, we'll see what happens with the under 18s. But I, I certainly hope once it ends, somebody brings him back into the game. If Stutz doesn't get mad at you a few times, you're not doing your job. That's the way I look at it. He's uh, he's a maker of men for sure. <laughs> One final question here, Mark, to uh, to wrap things up. And again, can't say thank you enough. Always enjoy our chats and thank you for. Uh, all of the tidbits through the years as well. Really appreciate that. You're one of my go-to guys. Um, but you let the cat out of the bag. I was sort of keeping that as a secret. But uh, now that you've told people, I, I guess the cat's out that uh, that you're one of my go-tos in the Ontario League or, or actually for all of junior hockey. But the Ontario League, it's such a weird time right now. I know that you can't really say definitively what's going to happen. But your best guess uh, or any insight that you would be able to provide to the conversation about the OHL. Is there going to be an OHL season? If so, when? How does the whole thing work? Or is it just all too murky and there's really no way to tell? You know what? The operative word you just said there, John, is is guess. Anybody that tries to tell you they know what's going to happen, I think, is, is lying to you. Um, you know, my best guess, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, what's it going to be? I think there will be a season. I think it's going to end up maybe being from May 15th to July 15th. I think there's going to be three or four bubbles, maybe three Canadian bubbles, and the American teams are going to play, travel, and go to the, go to the different rinks just as if it was a regular season. Uh, kind of a 20-game schedule. But you know what? In, in this province, the, right now the cases are, are going through the roof. Certainly uh, in this province, we've gone into a four-week lockdown. So it's pretty difficult to announce that, you know, I know we're in a lockdown and people aren't supposed to leave their homes, but we're not going to put – you know, 16 to 20 year old kids into a bubble for two months. So politically, it's a very difficult thing right now. But really, you know, the Ontario Hockey League is the only league that hasn't played yet this year, quite uh -huh. frankly. And, and, you know, there's there's cases certainly in Quebec and obviously down in the States, you've seen so many cases through the different states. But every league has basically found a way to play somehow, some way. And the Ontario Hockey League hasn't. And, you know, I think it's frustrating for the teams. It's frustrating, I think, for the league executives and, and even Dave Branch, the commissioner, because the government holds all the cards. And they've been in negotiations at least for two, three months now. And different times, I think there's been progress and then there's step back. So, you know, you never know. And, and they've painted themselves into this corner because now we're in this third wave and this spike to come out and announce that we're going to go into a couple bubbles is, is politically, it's very difficult and, and tough to sell. But ultimately, I think there is going to be some type of a season. I think, like I said, 20 games, kind of a six to eight week uh, uh, session in three bubbles around the province of Ontario. And, and uh, but, you know, just like everybody else, your guess is as good as mine. Well, Mark, it's been fantastic. I hope everybody follows you on Twitter, at Mark Seidel, one of the most knowledgeable people about Canadian junior hockey and one of your uh, go-to sources for, for prospect information. And, Mark, people love Mayor Approved and Mayor Rulings, some of the things I do on Twitter. You have your Deep Thoughts uh, series, so we need to get some more Deep Thoughts coming from you. Uh, that's always a, a fun uh, series that you do there on Twitter. We appreciate that. Yeah, it's, you know what, I, uh, it's something I started a long time ago. And, uh, you know, Twitter is what it is. It's becoming, honestly, John, you guys know better than anybody. It's, it's becoming worse and worse with the criticism and the craziness. But, you know, I, I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, as for coming on the podcast, I mean, uh, 
I certainly enjoy the podcast, guys. I think you do a great job. I mean, if you're an LA King fan, you don't listen to this. I don't. I don't think you're really a fan. So, you know, I, I go in a lot of information, talk, listen to you guys, and I enjoy it. So, it's certainly my pleasure to come on here, and, and uh, I thank you for the opportunity. All right, Mark. We will talk to you soon. We'll be back after the break, everybody. Talk more hockey in the third period after this. to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Third period, Kings of the Podcast. Welcome back. And uh, DB, any thoughts coming out of that interview there with Mark Seidel? A lot to unpack. We got one of your resources, John. <laughs> <laughs> and with, yes. he, he's fantastic. Yeah, he, he's so knowledgeable and like doesn't flinch. Like you could, we, we rattled off, what, 10 players' names? Like bang, mm-hmm. bang, 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 bang. So um, an excellent guest. And I'm sure, like I said, uh, around the draft, certainly have to, to bring him back with respect to what lies ahead. Yeah, he's, uh, he's really knowledgeable and very well connected, which is one of the yeah. reasons that I love to ask him questions, that if he doesn't know, he knows a guy he knows that he guy. can connect right. me with. Yeah, he knows a guy uh, that he can connect me with and, and help get the information, so that's great. DB, we were on a roll uh, in the first period, going through all of the LA Kings, the defensemen and the goaltenders, and sure. now we have a bunch of forwards to get to, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, and, and start off on the very top line. Uh, Dustin Brown, Andre Kopitar, Alex Iafalo. Let's start in the middle. Kopi, he's not going anywhere, so uh, we can move on yep. unless you have something that you need to say about uh, number 11. No, no, he's had a great season. Let's move on. Okay, 23. You were, uh, you were throwing out your speculation, doing your best, uh, I think, uh, TMZ impersonation a few weeks ago and suggesting that Dustin Brown should perhaps be included in some conversations. You you had Twitter and an uproar. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard you say that much recently. So wh- where do you land on Dustin Brown as we approach the trade deadline? Well, the Islanders did due diligence on, on Dustin, uh, but they went the, the route uh, of the rental, uh, getting in Palmyrene's Ajax. The only other p- possible place, and because they've been scouting here the last two out of the three games, would be Boston which he'd be a nice fit for. But I don't see that happening either. I think they're going to go the rental route as well. Now, the guy on the other side we might want to talk about. So I think Dustin stays home. He does have some some no-trade protection, so I, I really don't see that. He would have – look, he would have been a really nice ad for the Islanders. He's that type mm-hmm. of player. He would have been a great uh, um, uh, re- – not replacement for Andrews Lee, but he brings the same type of game. So, But he's had a great season here, and it's, uh, and it's – a. A great thing that other teams are interested in him because he's still valuable. Yeah. He's still been productive. But at this point in time, to me, it would be uh, more than a surprise if, if he wasn't on the teams to c- come Tuesday. Now, Boston would be a nice fit. I mean, he just seems like a prototypical Boston yeah. Bruin type player. I could see Dustin Brown on you know the Boston Bruins. For me, the biggest hang-up 
is not the, the, the modified or limited no trade clause, which I think is eight teams, right? But for me, the bigger issue is the fact that he has one year left on the contract, not because another team wouldn't be interested in taking that. There is a nice discount, I believe, on the, the cash value to the actual yeah. AAV, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the, the point is, is Dustin's family going to want to relocate for one year? Because we know that Dustin's not going to be away from the kids for a full season. And we're not talking about a 56-game se- season next year. We're talking, the NHL is talking at least, about a full season. And if he's going to a contender like Boston, that's not just a regular season. That's postseason as well. So is Nicole ready to pack up the kids and uh, and, and head east? You want to hear the ironic thing, John? I'm sure you'll sure. laugh at this. Like the, the team that would make sense from a geographic standpoint since he lives in Ithaca and that's where their home is would be Buffalo. <laughs> they would probably welcome a trade geographically to Buffalo. Uh, but other than that, look, New York, Boston, I don't think it matters. I think that um, all the kids are in school at this point in time. They're building a large, lovely home here in Manhattan Beach. But I think ultimately they're destined, they're destined to return home to New York State when Dustin's days are over. So I think there's less of an issue there because this has been so upside down. And, and I think that um, having kids, you know, having four kids at home doing Zoom classes all year has been really, really challenging for them. So it's probably even more a testament to what Dustin's been able to focus with uh, with all the madness around um, what's going on with the people's families and their personal lives. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think that would be an issue. As long as the checks keep coming in, I think they're fine with the, any destination that he might <laughs> wind up with. And, again, I'd assume it'd be a contending team. Yeah, and uh, his oldest son, from what I understand, is one hell of a hockey player. Now, he's not yeah. obviously eligible for the draft this year or anytime soon, but uh, certainly someone to keep an eye on. They say uh, that he is, like I said, one hell of a hockey player and has potentially a, a very bright future in front of him. Perhaps somebody will someday we'll be talking about uh, one of Dustin Brown's sons being eligible for the uh, NHL draft. Well, boy, that would, uh, that would certainly make you feel old, wouldn't it, D.B.? Oh, for sure, Jay. I'm old enough as it is, so for sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's get to it. On the other side, number 19, Alex Iafalo. We have talked about his trade potential a uh, number of times on the program, and we kind of, at least I did, I sort of laughed at uh, the notion of Alex Iafalo going for a first-round draft pick when we had Jesse Cohen on the program a couple of weeks back. But, DB, it is looking more and more like there is the, a I'm going to say a greater than 50% possibility that Alex Iafalo is not on the LA Kings come Tuesday of next week. Yeah, well, I think one of the indications, Sean, is that there's no deal yet. There's no extension, and I think that has a lot to do with it, adds into it. And it's, you know, it, it might be a buyer's market, but this is a productive... And somebody asked me on Twitter today, and we can get into Twitter in a little while, but this, you're talking about a 45 to 50-point player, right, who is... Uh, a tenacious four checker who is a smart player. So if it gets to a point where you got to take some uh, money back or retain or take back a contract to get to a first round pick. Yeah. And, and I think John, you made the point is that anything lesser than that, like you wouldn't want to make that trade because it doesn't really do anything for the organization. Right? Yeah. So here's, here's sort of the deal from a King's perspective. If you look big picture, not necessarily next season, right? But two years from now, Right. Alex Iafalo is not the top line left wing. All apologies to Andrzej Kopitar. In two years from now, Alex Iafalo is the left wing on the third line, uh, most likely. Maybe the second line, but probably the third line left wing in Los Angeles. He's, his value should be pegged somewhere about 375 for three years. If you wanted to go four years, okay, fine. But here's the issue I have, DB. 
This is not a $5 million a year player in Los Angeles. And I've, I've said this before, and I'm going to hold to it. If the agent and or the player think that this is a $5 million a year player, he's pricing himself out of L.A. And if he's pricing himself out of L.A., that's where you end up at the trade conversation. Because right. all things being equal and a deal being possible... The Kings have no interest in trading Alex Iafalo. The Kings love Agreed. Alex Iafalo. The players oh, yeah. love him. The coaches love him. He's an ideal player. You talked about his point production. This is a player who should be part of this team in a couple of years, and he's in that perfect age bracket. We've talked about age distribution before, Dennis, where right. you can't have yep. Kopitar and Brown at one end of the spectrum and then a bunch of 19- and 20-year-old kids at the other end of the spectrum. You need those sure. players in the middle age bracket. That's where Kempe, who we'll get to, Kempe and Ayafalo and even Matt Roy to a lesser extent, and those guys are in that bracket. But Ayafalo, man, if he thinks he's getting $5 million on the open market, and maybe he will. Hey, God bless him if he does, okay? But he, the Kings cannot sign him for $5 million a year because that does not fit into their structure. The only way that you could pay him $5 million DB is on a two-year deal. That's it. That's the only way you could do it because yeah. you're going to have enough money for the next two years, you would be overpaying him probably in the second year of the contract. But if you're mm -hmm. follow, do you want to do that? You're a free agent now. Do you want to sign because you love L.A.? Do you want to sign a two-year deal for $5 million and roll the dice again as an unrestricted free agent in two years, knowing that you're going to be leaving Los Angeles at that point because right. they're not going to pay you more at that point. They're going to pay you less, right? So mm -hmm. from that standpoint, you go, well, if you're Rob Blake, you have to explore a trade. And you go, for what, though? What, like they don't they right. need a they need more draft picks like they need a hole in their head, right? Right. They need to be you able to have flip. a player come back and you're not doing that for a rental. Well, or That's you need to be issue. able to have you need to be able to have plan two. You need to be able to have a deal or think that you're gonna make a deal where Behind you can that. flip that flip yep. that pick later. And I'm not just talking about flipping that pick to move up. You know, take your first rounder yeah. and the other right. team's first rounder and move up in, in no. the first round of the draft because that's just no. going to get you a player that's going to help you three to five years from now. You, they need players right now. They need players next year. Forget the playoffs this year. If the Kings are making the playoffs next year, they need a player to replace Alex Iafalo. And don't talk to oh, me about the players absolutely. that are in Ontario. They need an NHL player to replace yeah. Alex Iafalo for next year. That's a yeah, very tight rope to walk. Yeah. I think the happy medium would be a three-year deal. I agree with you at five million. And look, he's he's the similar type of player to I've mentioned this to, to Zach Hyman in Toronto, and the way Hyman's producing in Toronto, he's pricing himself out of the market there. So I agree with you. I think it's you know four quarter, four and a half. I would go the extra year to take him to thirty years old. But I, I get your logic with respect to a two-year deal. I think that would be it. But again, it, it's it's a tough situation, John, because again, yeah, you you. You don't want to overpay, but I agree with you. Then you, if you deal him, you've got. If you don't make another deal behind it, you've got two holes on the left side. Like yeah. you two need two legitimate left wingers because you know Andreas Anthony has had a redemption year. He's not that guy. So that that that's that's a key. But I, I think we're this late in the game at the trade deadline, and he's still not signed. To me, that's an indication that they're having some issues signing him. Yeah, uh, I did check in on this this week, DB, and basically what I've been able to gather, reading the tea leaves, whatever you want to say, uh, they either expect to announce a deal on Sunday or you can expect him to be traded on Monday. That's basically okay. what it's going to come down to. So, Good. you know. Good. Be uh, definitive. That's great. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, on to the second line. I, I don't even know what the second line is anymore, DB, but uh, <laughs> if the second line is Grunstrom, Jod, and Moore, I think we can just skip over it and say none of those guys – are going to be traded. I don't think 
you you would want to include them in any sort of a package. Trevor Moore is, is you know obviously one of the favorites of of Coach Todd McClellan. Yeah. Jod is here for the long term. I mean, if Grunstrom look, they could part with Grunstrom if they had to. If that's right. for whatever reason, that's the player that another team had to have in the right deal, then you do it. But uh, I mean, why why would you be in, interested in trading that player at this point? Those three have some 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 nice magic together, DB. And another left winger? So you only be down three left wingers going into the offseason? <laughs> oh, the nice thing about Grunstrom, too, is that he's versatile. I mean, you mentioned Swiss yeah. Army Knife earlier. This guy can go right side. This guy can go left side. And uh, we talked about Kaliev yeah, having a, a, you know, an underappreciated passing game. Grunstrom has an underappreciated physicality to his game that most people don't give him credit for. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay, uh, so maybe let's look at the next line then, or another line. Uh, you have Double A, who you mentioned. He is an RFA, uh, one of those rare players that you sign as an unrestricted free agent who at the end of his contract is actually an RFA. He reverses the other way instead of uh, continuing as a UFA, so that's nice. The Kings do have some options. They don't need to sign Double A right now. They can wait till after the summer is over because of the rights uh, that they have with him as an RFA. You have sure. uh, Anthony, uh, Athanasio, uh, Carter, and pick another player that you have uh, on that particular line, which I would assume is Blake Lazat. No real reason to trade uh, Blake Lazat. No real reason to trade Double A unless you're getting a spectacular return for him. And uh, yeah. you know, on the other side with Jeff Carter, I just don't see the Kings moving Jeff Carter at this particular time. Yeah, and I don't see him buying him out either because the cash is less than what you needed. And look, with respect to Lazat, he's a 10 C three player, so they have to they have to tender him. Uh, uh, I think they have to make him a qualifying offer or he becomes an unrestricted free agent because he doesn't have enough service time. So I would assume he'd be on the team because you'd want to offer him, uh, you know, you want to make him the qualifying offer. Yeah, I just, I mean, really, even if you wanted to move him, what's the market for for Blake Lazard? Oh, no, no. It, it, it comes back to what we said earlier about I have follow a couple programs ago. Like, if a team's calling you for Blake Lazard and offering you, I don't even know. So I don't, what, a third-round draft pick, a fourth-round draft pick, like, yeah. Why are you trading that player when you need, again, you need that player. He, he fills a role for you. He's a perfectly serviceable fourth line center. And, uh, even next year, if he played half the games, he would be a, a high energy guy to have around. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's done nothing wrong here. He comes in and busts us every game and, uh, you get what you get with this guy. So yeah, I, I agree. I, it doesn't make any sense, John, unless it, you needed that for some money issues or, or something. But other than that, no, you need players in LA next season. All right, and uh, Brendan Lemieux obviously is not going anywhere. They just acquired him. They didn't acquire him to flip him. They acquired him to bring some toughness to the forward group and really give Todd McClellan an option to uh, go ahead and, and rest 56 Curtis McDermott. Uh, what about Double A? You, you say he's still here on Tuesday, or you think he's on the move? Um, I think he's here. I think there's some interest because he'd be a depth player who has some touch who's, again, showed that he has the ability to score. Um, it depends on the team, John. I mean, it's going to have to be an up-tempo skating team. Can't be. He's not going to go to a grinding team. So, yeah, my bet would be probably, I don't know, 20%, 20, 80, um, him leaving. I, 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 don't see it. I don't see it happening. Okay. Austin Wagner. A player that a lot of people are still surprised, you know, gets the minutes that he does, obviously coming at the expense of someone like a Martin Furk or even a Matt Luff. Uh, Austin Wagner, he is signed for a couple more years. Don't really see Wagner being somebody that teams are calling for and beating down Rob Blake's door to get in a trade. Would the Kings put him into a deal? It would certainly free up some contract, uh, a contract spot over the next couple of years. And they have other guys that could fill that spot, even on shorter term 
you know, uh, type deals. I could see that uh, if there was a team that that wanted a player with his sort of skill set, DB. Yeah, I agree, but it's not it's not front of the mind type of deal. He's he, he's not going to be at the top of any deal. He would be a, a thrown in, in any particular deal. But again, um, a favor of the coach. So again, I don't. I think that has some some weight as well. So I don't see him moving on uh, by Monday. Okay, let's get to Adrian Kempe. Adrian Kempe is an interesting one. I tweeted out some some numbers on him the other day, or earlier this morning, I yep. should say, about his uh, stats over the last couple of years. He's uh, certainly having his most productive year, which is also interesting because McClellan made the comment the other day that they haven't yet found a home for Kempe, meaning that they've used him first line, second line, third line, used him all over the place. Obviously, he's been more important to the power play this year, but Adrian Kempe is having a fine year, uh, statistically speaking, even though he hasn't really cemented his spot on the roster into a, a particular line at this point. Um, maybe you could say that part of that is due to injuries and COVID-related issues with other players that's caused some sure. some some line mixing, uh, but Adrian Kempe is an interesting one because allegedly the Toronto Maple Leafs are interested, and I'm sure they're probably not the only team that's looking at Kempe. You talked about Boston being here. I can't see Kempe in a deal going to Boston. Just doesn't seem to fit that type of a team. But uh, he is his name is out there, and he, he is somebody who could potentially be available, DB. Much more fit in Toronto than Boston. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, a skating player could skate with tempo that the, the Leafs play. So, I th- But again, John... Like, there's value in this player. He's signed for $2 million per AAV. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's, a, that's a great value contract, so why you would move on? And he's been more productive. And, look, I've been one of the biggest criti- you know, um, critics of him, but I think his production is great. Look, he's a streaky goal scorer, John. Like, that's the deal. That, that's what you have. But, again, if he's your left wing three, like, then you got a good team. Like, to me, that's where his, his destiny lies. And you have if he if he scores fifteen to seventeen on the third line, John, like you're a playoff team and you're a dangerous team. I think that's where he ultimately lines up. But hey, give him credit. Like when Velarde comes out of the lineup, he stepped in. He was taking faceoffs last night. He hasn't complained. He's he, he's done everything this team has asked him. He's he's switched back and forth between center and wing, and I've got no problem with him. So it's a player that I would really need to get. So, significant value back, John, because of his contract and for his ability that he has improved. And you mentioned, I think, on Twitter today, you know, he's played five years, but he's 24 years old. There's still, you know, a lot of runway ahead for this player. He's also had a multitude of head coaches, DB. And so he's finally found a home with Todd McClellan, yep. who has been able to sort of push the right buttons and untap his his skill set, if you will. And, and probably the best is yet to come. You did mention the low contract, which is going to be valuable to a team who's in cap trouble, which all the top teams right. are, whether you're Tampa, Toronto, whoever. Um, here's the issue, though. The Kings probably, we just went through a list of names there. The Kings probably have too many of those tweener left wings. None of them are right. a true left wing one. So you could put Ayafalo, you could put Kempe, you could put Double A either on the second line left wing or third line left wing. Those are only two spots, and you have three players mm-hmm. that you just mentioned right there. And if the fourth line or a fourth line, whatever you want to call it, is solidified with Grunstrom, Moore, and and Jod, you're really only talking about two spots: LW two and LW three for three players. Right. Unless you want to move right. one of them over to the right side, which is always an option, but that sure. really necessitates. One, you probably have one player too many in that group of three and frees up a trade. Mm-hmm. Here's a crazy trade scenario that somebody threw at me the other day, and I was just like, why? That helps Toronto, but it doesn't help L.A. What if you sent uh, Quick with uh, uh, Kempe or Ayafalo, uh, uh, or Actually, I'm sorry. Kempe, Ayafalo, and Quick in a deal, 
to Toronto and you get Freddie Anderson back as the goalie that you can then um, expose in the expansion draft. You get Kerfoot back and you get some sort of a, a first round draft pick back in return or whatever. And I'm like, I just don't see how that helps. That LA. doesn't work. No, Be- no, 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 no. Because, because look, you, it doesn't you, you're work trading. Freddie's not signed. Okay, so you're getting Freddie's rid not of- signed after the season. Okay, imagine if they worked all of that out, though. Here's my point. You're, you, how does that help L.A.? You, you're, you're giving up Jonathan Quick for Jonathan Quick in terms of the player that you're going to expose in the expansion draft. In Kerfoot, you're giving up Kempe for Kerfoot, and Kempe right. is probably a better version of Kerfoot. So it's like trading Kempe for a lesser version of Kempe, and you're going through all of these just to get a first-round draft pick back. That, that doesn't make, you're not getting enough value back in that deal, uh, Dennis. You need to get uh, yes. the, the defenseman, Agreed. their high-end defenseman, who they're not really uh, they're trading there out of Toronto. Morgan Riley. No, um, the younger player, the kid. Oh, man, his name's escaping me right now. The point is, that doesn't help Travis the L.A. Dermot? Kings. You, you did a lot of stuff there with the L.A. Kings in order to uh, get a first-round yeah. draft pick, and you really don't need a first-round draft pick that, that badly. And the, Leafs, and the Leafs win the Cup, then it's the 32nd draft pick. Or 31st. All the more reason why that first-round draft pick doesn't mean anything to me. Just not really that yeah, impressive exactly. with that deal. Any parting thoughts on uh, Martin Furk or Matt Luff, two players before we get to Velarde, two players who uh, yeah. went on waivers recently and, and Furk has now been sent to the Ontario uh, reign with the, in the AHL and Matt Luff after imp- a very impressive couple of games. Uh, he is now back up with the Kings, at least on the taxi squad and traveling. I yeah. doubt he'll get into a game with the Sharks, but he's at least with the team and traveling as a, an emergency player uh, on the trip this week. Any, any parting thoughts on those two players, DB? Yeah. Kudos to Matt Luff for going down and doing the right things, getting two goals in his first game, keeping his head up and keeping trying, and not quitting on the organization. Uh, but now I'll leave the stage to you, John, to explain why you're blaming Todd McClellan for Martin Furk. Well, I'm not blaming him for Martin Furk as much as I'm blaming him for Matt Luff. I, 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 just, I really think that Todd is falling into that that same sort of zone that a lot of veteran coaches do where they have their favorites and they become stubborn and they'd rather play their favorites rather than putting the best possible lineup out there. And to me, Matt Luff has done everything necessary to get an extended look by the LA Kings. And I'm sorry, Austin Wagner has not. Austin Wagner has not cemented his role on the team. If Austin Wagner was waiver eligible, we would have seen Austin Wagner on the taxi squad many nights this year. He's one of those bubble players. He's mm-hmm. a great kid. He has uh, great numbers from the team workout staff and, you know, for all of his off, off ice stuff that he does. So none of my comments are directed at him as a person, just simply no, as a player. Not. He's not somebody that's being protected. If you're not a player that's on the protected list, then you're not one of the chosen ones, if you will, right? You're not Mm -hmm. really part of the long-term plan. means if you're here, great, but you're also somewhat easily replaceable. And Austin Wagner is easily replaceable on this team. And in past years, we've heard about, well, he creates chaos and he's fast and he does this and he keeps teams on their heels. Okay, well, Double A has come in and basically taken his job because as we've said many times on this show, you don't need Double A and Austin Wagner both in the lineup. So yep. pick which one you want. You want double A over Wagner? Fine. Then Wagner becomes expendable, either in a trade or waivers or whatever. And that should create an opportunity for a guy like Matt Luff. That should create an opportunity as well for a guy like Martin Furk. Look, mm-hmm. we haven't even gotten to Gabe Velarde yet, Dennis. And here's the thing that I wonder. If you're so concerned about Gabe Velarde 
and you want to put him in the best possible position to win and you're worried about his development and everything else. Man, if you're the coach, wouldn't you want to put Martin Furk on his wing? This is the guy. This is his safety blanket. This is the guy who he's played the best with since turning pro. I'm talking about Velarde. Wouldn't you want to give Martin Furk five games and get them together and back together and see if it makes a difference? No, I think we're seeing a coach who's being very stubborn, who's sticking just the same comments I had about McDermott. What are you trying to prove by putting Curtis McDermott in on the second pair? I just asked the same question. What are you trying to prove by playing Austin Wagner every single night, overplaying a Matt Luff, overplaying a Martin Furk? I just don't see it. And Martin Furk was eligible for a conditioning assignment also, DB. So did you have to put him on waivers? Well, look, there's a part of me that wants to say... But that's an organizational decision. That's not a coaching decision. no. No, that's a coaching decision because the coach talks to the GM, and when the coach refuses to play a player, then he forces the GM's hand on what to do with the particular player. So the coach is the one who's not well, playing. Who Matt reports Luff. to who? I think the GM. I think the coach reports to the GM, not the other way around, though. Yeah, but the GMs aren't demanding which players they're going to play. That's not the way it works. They get they give the players to the coaches, and then the coaches decide the lineup. That's sort of the unwritten rule in the way that it works. Okay, but then why? But then John, then why doesn't the GM say? Conditioning stint. Yeah, that's the point. That was my whole point of why I'm so confused by the waiver situation. So okay. there's a part of me okay. that wants to say there's an evil genius at work here, right? Because there is an evil genius component to this. No, John, the guy hasn't played all year. He's been hurt all year. Right. So I, I don't know why you're defending Martin Furk. He's, he's literally been hurt all year. He hasn't been I, able to get on the ice. I, I agree. So why not send him down for a conditioning assignment? Send him on a conditioning um, assignment. It looks like the organization may have lost faith. How do you lose faith in a player that hasn't played? You can't lose faith in somebody right. that hasn't played. Did he do something? Sure, yeah. did, did he not do something? He got right? waved. Right. Did, he that, do everything... did he not do something? Did he not? Did he not? I don't know, John. I'm not, not... In, uh, I'm not in the room at TSPC, right? I'm, 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 I'm looking at the, the dots that are connecting. You love to connect dots. And I'm saying, okay, guy hasn't played all year, has, has been injured, can't get back on the ice, and now we're waving him. And we're not going to condition him. So to me, that says we've lost face to this player. Now, is it over? No, because today he's at practice in a normal jersey. So we'll see what happens. Well, but I, but I don't already, think it's, went, it's. Yeah, he yeah, already he went back to the American two. League, though. Yeah, but John, it, he, he's not like I know. You want to infer that this is going to unlock the key that to Gabe Velarde. I, I just don't buy it. I'm not. I'm not suggesting it's going to unlock the key to Gabe Velarde. At the end of the day, Gabe Velarde's problems lie at the doorstep of one person, and that's Gabe Velarde. It's not the coach. It's not Agreed. the general manager. It's not his former coach. It's not his line it's mates. It's not me. It's not you. Well, it's partly you, but I. I. I don't want to hear this story about <laughs> players have to make other players better, and you know, yeah, particular you know line okay. mates. Great. No, none of that matters. None of that matters. Gabe Velarde controls Gabe Velarde. Gabe Velarde controls his development. He look. He was blocking his development earlier this year with his moronic, asinine comments about, I don't believe that you get better at face-offs by working on them. Look, I love Gabe Velarde. That is an idiotic comment, okay? Uh, Jared Stoll didn't want to say it when he came on the program. Todd McClellan has sort of hinted about it, uh, but I'm here to tell you. Players improve when they work on things. That's why it's called practice. You practice things to get better at them. Gabe Velarde needed to work and needed to practice on his face-offs in order to become better at them. There's no other way to say it. So... Gabe Velarde controls Gabe Velarde. Nobody else. He's the one who's going to determine if he ends up being a 2C, if he ends up being a winger, if he ends up being a number 1C, if he scores 30 goals or whatever. That's up to Gabe Velarde. My point, though, is that when you have a young player, 
And I think Mark Seidel said that some of these young players, that you're pampering them, right? You're treating them with kid gloves. When you're doing that with some of these players, if you want to surround them with the best possible opportunity to win, I think you do put Martin Furk back with Gabe Velarde for five or ten games if you think that's going to help a struggling Gabe Velarde. Okay. I, I, I don't think he's a difference maker. He scored 18 goals in this league. Like, I just don't see it. Like, I, I, look, is it possible to get anything to get a player that you've ranked as the top prospect in the organization going? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, here's the thing, John. If it doesn't work, then what? It's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. I think, I just think you have to explore all options. And this, this is oh, yeah, a move. That's fair. Th- this is where, this is, I guess, kind of what I'm saying is that. I have been able to rationalize or explain all of the moves that have been made by management from the from the beginning of Rob Blake coming in as general manager. Because people questioned at the time, why did Rob Blake get the job over Mike Fuda? I can explain that to you. Why did why did Rob Blake sign Ilya Kovalchuk? I can explain that to you. Why did he make a trade for Dion Phaneuf? Why did this happen? Why did that? You, we've done it, Dennis. You and I have done it. We've gone back. I can rationalize and I can explain. Yeah. People don't have to agree, but I can give mm-hmm. you reasons to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I can give you all of those. I can't give you a rational reason for the the recent treatment of Matt Luff and Martin Furk other than the coach. I can't. I can't do it. And that's, it's just like I can't give you a logical reason for McDermott. I heard you earlier. Okay, fine. He likes the experience more. But see, I just can't buy that when there are other alternatives to playing Curtis McDermott on the second pairing, but I could at least see your point. You have yet to give me a counterpoint that makes me go, yeah, I understand why they got rid of Matt Luff on waivers. Yeah, I understand why they put Martin Furk on waivers. I, to, to me, those are moves that are driven by a coach. They're not driven by any other reason, in my in my opinion. Okay, and well, the fact that they weren't claimed, John, um, goes to, again, the player, right? I mean, if they were that valuable, they would have been claimed, and they weren't claimed, so... You know, to be determined. But I get your point about trying all options. Because, again, what's the big picture? Did you have to weigh this, though? They're still trying to win games here. right? So are you going to put a guy who hasn't played all year now on the second line with Gabe Velarde, who's not producing? Or are you going to look at some other options? But I, I think that if they do fall out and, this, and it becomes mathematically impossible to make the postseason, at that point in time, if it's eight games or ten games, then you're I'm totally on board with, with going with them. But I think at this point in time, you're still weighing that option to win games, and I just don't think that that player who hasn't played all season is prepared to help them win games to the extent that other players on the roster can. Yeah, somehow these two things have been connected when really they're two separate uh, sort of situations, right? Uh, so Matt Matt Luff is really more of what I'm saying right now. The fact that he hasn't been claimed simply has to do with the fact that he hasn't played, so people out there in a tight market aren't willing to take a claim on Matt Luff. I I didn't necessarily expect that he was going to be claimed. Was there a possibility? Sure, but I would have probably said that it was less than a third, you know, less than a 30% chance that he was going to get claimed. Uh, Mm -hmm. on, On the Martin Furk situation, this is the only possible explanation in my mind is the evil genius thing that I mentioned a moment ago. If you're going to put Martin Furk on waivers, now is the time to do it. If you're trying to do it to create a roster spot, now is the time to do it because coming off of an injury, nobody's going to claim him. It would have been shocking if Martin Furk was claimed on waivers. So it was the perfect time to sneak the player through waivers. But here's the thing. 
if a trade doesn't materialize to why they needed that roster spot here over the next couple of days, it is very confusing, DB, because here's why. Mm -hmm. You could have sent Martin Furk to the AHL on a conditioning assignment for two weeks, and by the time that conditioning assignment is over, the trade deadline has passed, the rosters have expanded. So what was the point of putting Martin Furk on waivers then? It's a very perplexing move to me. Uh, and again, people like to hone in and be like, John, come on, like, what's the difference? He's like the, you know, 14th forward on the team. I'm sorry, I'm a details guy. Everything is important to me. So I don't just want to talk mm-hmm. about and think about what happens with Alex Iafalo. I want to go through not only the 23 sure. players on the roster, but also the 20 plus players that are in Ontario as well. It's a very curious move to me that I don't understand. And, uh, that's, that's, that's it. We've beaten this, uh, horse. We've, we've flogged it to death. So let's get For to sure. Gabe Velarde and wrap up today's show. <laughs> DB, I will, uh, give you, Give you your forum to speak on uh, young Gabe Velarde, who at least according to today's practice lineup, which does tend to be a good indication mm-hmm. of the following day's lineup. It's not a one-to-one connection, but it today right. Gabe was in the group of healthy scratches. Does that mean he's a healthy scratch? No, but that's where he was today. DB, what do you think? Um, I've been critical of the performance of the player, not the player. Okay, it, 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 He hasn't scored in 16 games. The power play unit that he led... He centered, hasn't scored in 18 games. Like, if you don't think that's justification for a healthy scratch, regardless of who it is, then, then you're just biased, which is fine. You can be biased for this player. And I, I get the emotion around this player. Like, look, he is, and we talked about this in the last podcast, John. I asked you who was the player of the prospects or the, or the inexperienced players least likely to be traded. And you said Gabe Velarde without hesitation. And I agree with you. But at some point in time, you got to hit the pause button and you got to go up in the press box or wherever you sit during these games and watch the game from above. So I have no problem with it. I'm surprised it's a second, to be honest with you, as much as I've criticized his performance over the last month, um, I'm surprised it will be a second game. I would think, okay, one game out and then back in. But I guess they like the toughness of Lemieux. Maybe that's that, that impactful as well. But again, the one thing that troubles me, John, is that, yes, we forget he's a rookie and this is his rookie season, John. We forget. We saw those 10 games and think, okay, he's a second-year player. He's not, right? My concern is is that if you look at the performance and the numbers, he hit a wall at game 20. And as a rookie, you usually don't hit walls at 20, at 40, at 60. I get it. But to have, like, a, a difference in performance from the first 20 to the last 16, to me, is troublesome. Uh, maybe it's just a mental adjustment. Maybe he needs a break. Maybe there's too much pressure, and that's probably what it is. There's a lot on his shoulders, and I get it. He's 21 years old, right? So I'm not saying, and and I think my my salient point is here, he's not a bum. He shouldn't be traded. If I was making a trade for an established player, I wouldn't be trading him. Do I think he's a right wing because of his style? Yes. But uh, the fact that like you can't go and criticize this player's performance at this point in time, like, then we're not doing our jobs, John, to be honest with you. And I'm happy to do it, and I don't care about the criticism. But, look, he has to bet. And you said it yourself. There's one player responsible for it, and Todd said it as well. It's up to him now. But this is not over. It's not a bum. He's not washed up. It's not a draft, bad draft pick. None of those things I'm saying. But, again, it's up to this player to take a, a pause and then go back in full force and be more aggressive and really take the you know, the, the the horse by the reins and and – be the player that everybody knows he can be. 
And TB, I do just want to say I agree with the majority of what you just said. Uh, so I, I have probably haven't said this on the record. So I do want to say sure. I am perfectly fine with Gabe Velarde being a healthy scratch. And I challenge anybody to find me having any sort of a problem with it. I am absolutely fine with him being a healthy scratch. And as you pointed to, his performance over the last 10 to 20 games has not been there. Uh, it has been very concerning and very troubling, and they moved him down the lineup. I didn't necessarily like when they put him on the fourth line. I think that's a little bit too uh, – it's just – it's not the way that I would have done it. It, it. It's just – I don't like the optics of it, right? I think it's – and people say, well, isn't that better than being a healthy scratch? Well, probably not, actually, in my opinion, but I could be I could be in the minority on that. But I have no problem with scratching Gabe Velarde. I have no problem scratching him for a couple of games. Um, I, I didn't expect that it was going to happen – at this particular time, but I have no issue with it at all whatsoever. Uh, I I echo many of the comments that you said, which is that, you know, it doesn't mean that it was a bad draft pick and it doesn't mean anything. We're talking about a player with 50 games of NHL experience, and it does take time. It's interesting that when you, if you really sort of timeline things out, you talk about hitting a wall at game 20. Remember, he started the, the year as the third C. He wasn't really the two C. So they had penciled him in as the two C, but they were utilizing him more as a three C. Mm-hmm. And it was at about roughly, if I remember correctly, the 13 or 15 game mark when he actually ascended to the second C. So it is right. interesting that the soon thereafter, that additional pressure uh, that Todd talked about that's being put upon his shoulders to be the second C and to carry all of this, and that maybe the development is just not there yet. And sure. remember, he missed a lot of time uh, in the development. Those key development years, he missed DB. So all of the valuable experience that Byfield, Turcotte, Thomas, all those kids are getting right now in the American League, Gabe had a very start-and-stop sort of situation with that. He had to start to the... To the uh, when he was in the American League, and then he went to the World Junior uh, Camp, and then he was shut down again for the balance of the year. He's had a start and stop. He came back to the Ontario League, or to, excuse me, to the American League a couple years later. Uh, he came in late. If you remember, he came in like November, I think, close to Thanksgiving after Craig Johnson and Jared Stoll. I mean, they're fabulous development guys, but those are only two components to the sure. overall development plan. Right, He didn't have a full season with Mike Stuthers. He had a very limited time there with a guy like Stutz, who, as Mark Seidel was talking about, all right, he's a maker of men. He's somebody who's going to help you get ready for the pro game. And uh, he had a very limited time there. He comes up to the Kings, and then he's thrown into the mix there, and he's, the expectations were set sky high by everybody, yes. by, by media, sure. by coaches, by teammates, by everybody, including us, uh, for Gabe Velarde. And just because you're the number one prospect doesn't mean that you're going to be the number one center and light the world on fire. It takes time. So I don't have a problem with uh, with what's going on with Gabe Velarde at this particular moment. Um, he's going to need to get it together. And this one, to me, is not on the coach. This one is on the player. This is a Gabe Vel- the, the problem with Gabe Velarde right now Agreed. is Gabe Velarde. Gabe Velarde has to figure it out. Gabe Velarde has to figure out how to play a consistent game regardless of who's on the right or left side of him. It doesn't matter if it's Martin Furk or Adrian Kempe or or whoever. Uh, he has to figure out how to be the best Gabe Velarde that Carter he can be. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter who it is. It, it, could, it could be a player that's not even in the organization right now. They could yeah. call up Turcotte tomorrow and put him on his... It doesn't matter. Right. Gabe Velarde has to be the best version of Gabe Velarde to reach his potential. And if you're a scout, that's when you project a player, that's what you're doing, is you're projecting his ceiling as well as projecting his floor. And when you look at a player like a Gabe Velarde, you go, okay, well, the thought always was that he was going to be a top six player. He was either going to be a center or he could be a wing, right? Maybe he's a a winger on a top line or he's a 2C player, right? Is he going to graduate? Is he going to be Ryan Getzloff and be a number one C? Don't know. That's his potential. But his his floor was 
a second-line player. Right, yes. The worst thing that Gabe Velarde can ever do now is have people in management question him to think, well, is his floor the third line? Mm. Because now he's just lowered his floor. Right. And you don't want to lower your floor. No. Right? And that's the problem yeah. with Gabe Velarde right now. He needs to determine where he's going to fit into the LA Kings lineup. It's not going to be decided in the next five games. Then it's not going to be decided this season. It's, it's a longer-term question, but he's giving inklings of what the future could hold. And uh, Gabe needs to figure it out. And whatever it's going to take to help figure it out, and if this sitting out a couple of games is going to help in the long run, again, I'm all for it. Because Gabe Velarde is an extremely talented hockey player who uh, should be contributing a lot more than he has been over the last 10 to 20 games. All right, DB. Uh, passionate discussions there about a lot of different players on the team. I, I think I've spoken my piece on Gabe Velarde. I'm okay with the scratch. We can yeah. move on now. But I do just want to loop back on a couple of things. One is Rasmus Sandin was the player I was thinking of earlier that I doubt that Toronto mm-hmm. is willing to trade. So if they were, then perhaps there's a deal there. But uh, before we part today, DB, uh, Drager did just announce while we were recording, Tanner Pearson, new contract, three years, $3.25 million. And to me, this speaks exactly to what I'm talking about with Alex Iafalo. If Tanner Pearson is... Is worth three years at three two five. Don't tell me that Alex Iafalo is a five million dollar a year player. And if he is, to me, he's priced himself out of Los Angeles. Fair, fair point. I agree with you. I certainly think he's more worth more than Tanner Pearson at this point in time. But again, I like the three year term. I think that will be perfect for Alex Iafalo. But great point by you with respect to what the AAV should be for a player like Alex Iafalo. I actually think that Tanner Pearson is worth more than three two five. So I think it's a nice deal that that Vancouver was able to get out of him. But uh, yeah, you're right. Even if Iafalo is worth more, there's a lot of distance between three two five and the number five point yeah. So uh, great program, DB. A lot of interesting discussions. I'm sure that we will hit everybody with a link to this program over the next seventy two hours as the trade deadline approaches. Thank you, of course, to Mark Seidel. Please give him a follow on Twitter. Fascinating insights into uh, Canadian junior hockey and up and coming draft prospects as well. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Enjoy your week, everybody. And I'm sure uh, Kings of the Podcast will be back around the trade deadline to break down anything that the LA Kings do. Have a great weekend, everybody.